Welcome to the Schools Out podcast with Mike and Miles. Longtime educators Mike Ditzenberger and Miles O'Shea discuss educational issues to provoke thought and encourage solutions. The potential of public education is limitless. We must work together to overcome obstacles to realize that potential and create new structures that work for everyone. The system is broken. Everyone deserves better. We can get there together. School is out. Now let's get started. Hey, Miles. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Doing okay. Uh, we're back at it again. Here we are. What are we talking about today? Uh, the last thing we said was the good school. Like, let's build the, the best school or the good school, the, the best model we can think of. As far as teaching, learning, kids, administrators, everything. Just dig right into it. I guess today would be like a, a big solution day. I love that idea. And I love the idea of being able to create something new mm-hmm. from our ideas or talk about what that would look like. Awesome. So when we're ready, let's get to work. All right. I don't, I don't necessarily think we have to go in and identify all the problems. I mean, we know we've talked about some problems in the past episodes, what exists or whatnot, but uh, I think if we're going to talk about what, what the best school looks like, I the first thing that comes to mind are a bunch of kids that want to be there. So what's that look like for you? For me, Mike, that looks like people coming excited about what they're about to do that day. Mm -hmm. Students and teachers coming into a building genuinely excited about what they're going to experience. That enthusiasm, that look in people's eye, the positivity of the overall educational experience. Yeah. So I've, I've thought about this, and you know me, I like to speak in analogies, and I've, I've dipped in this a little bit before, but it's, it's kind of like a video game. You know, when you, you and I are of the age where you've, you remember getting a video game or something, and you just can't wait to play it, and what takes you back to a good video game would be kind of like what takes you back to school every day. I know what to expect, and it's going to be something that I didn't have yesterday that I'm excited to try and get today as a student. And I think it would be the same thing as a teacher, too. I have something in my head that I can't wait to give somebody, and I'm just, I'm just so tense about, like, oh, how do I make it perfect for these kids? And I can't wait to show them what I have, and they're going to love it. Right. And let's take, let's take a step back for a second, and let's think about research on the current status of education in the country, and let's say that study after study reveals that student satisfaction with education is low. Mm -hmm. Overall, students do not generally report that they enjoy their educational experience. Right. And I think that's that's a very significant thing. We've talked about um, things like enjoyment or emotion and learning and also boredom. But we know that people generally don't like school. Right. So how do you you change that in somebody? Or how do you rekindle or just kindle in in general that spark for the love of teaching, that spark for the love of learning? I think it starts with that mindset. We've got to have the mindset that I'm not just coming to work. And, And I guess I go back to... 
um, episode one or two where I say, what's, what's the model of success for me? Success is that I'm doing what I chose to do. I'm not doing what was, what was given to me or what happened to me. I chose to do this. I chose to be a teacher. And let's even take it to the student standpoint, because I don't want anybody thinking that, that I'm bashing teachers at all. This is not a teacher issue. That even as a student, I chose to come today. I chose to attend school today because there's something in it for me, and I can't wait to see what that is. Um, so how do I how do I get back to that? I want to come to school, both as a student, as a teacher, as an administrator. Given all the things that I've that I've been given to do by whatever entity there is. Okay, we've got all these standards. We've got all these things that we're we're expected to do. How do I get to that point where? I want to take all of that and make it into something very palatable and, and fun for kids, and they're going to love it. And I, we had an interesting conversation about that, where it was like, you know, all those ingredients going into one recipe, what if the recipe just, you know, isn't that good? Right, and for people listening to this, think about that for a second. Why don't kids like school? Mm-hmm. And think about your own experiences. Ask yourself that question. Did I love school? Mm-hmm. I know my answer is no. I know your answer is no. Right. Do our kids going to school today love school? I'm pretty sure the answer is no. I know that people do have positive experiences in pockets. And like you said, not bashing teachers. I'm not bashing teachers or school or whatever because we've seen amazing, wonderful things happen in schools. But Given the option, Monday morning, to go to school or not, I'm saying the majority of students are going to say, no, I'm not going. Mm -hmm. That's just me. That's just me saying that. Uh, It's probably talked about my own children's educational experience a little too much on this, but I keep looking at them. If they woke up tomorrow and said, you could stay home or go to school, they're probably going to choose stay home mm-hmm. and play or do something that they want to do. Right. And you could say, oh, Miles, well, that's because, you know, school is hard work and, you know, we do the necessary things. So I'm going to combat that and say the educational experience that we are offering to people that costs a whole lot of money to put out there should be so great that people are beating down the doors to be there every day. Right. We have to force them to go by law. There's something wrong with that fundamentally. Right, I agree. Um, and you, you look at different models out there of schooling. You've got traditional public schooling as we know it. And I know a lot of criticism comes from, from different pockets that we're training kids to sit and stay and learn and, and react to what's being given to them. And then the, the defense to that is, well, we've got something to teach and they need to learn it to be quote-unquote productive citizens. Um, we've got other schools that are like a, a free model of learning where it's like a, a free play experiential type learning. And, and no one's to say either model is right or wrong, but which model would kids prefer and, and what's the outcome of each model? I mean, we've, we've had extensive conversations on this. When you start digging into those realms of things and start saying like, well, would a kid learn without direct instruction? And there are several kids that would learn without direct instruction. And how do, how do we incorporate the best of all of that in a teaching model? If we're going to design a curriculum that says, I want 
all of our kids to come to school, have a wonderful time, want to come back, but also they're going to go home having learned something that they will take away that will grow them. Right. So let's let's say that we've kind of acknowledged this problem that school isn't as good as it could possibly be. Mm-hmm. It doesn't drive people to come every day and say, I love this, our teachers and our students. This is my purpose right now in my life. This is what I'm driven to do. Mm-hmm. If we're acknowledging that, then the two of us are going to have a conversation. What would that look like? Right. And as we're transitioning into that, I would say, you know, any current research study you look at, there are certain buzzwords that will say things like student-centered, experiential, project-based. And for some reason, we never quite get there. In our teaching, our learning, our experiences, we're locked into something different. But if we're thinking about the good school, what would make people every day want to wake up and go? To me, those are some key words to start off with that are very, very important. And I know, Mike, you're passionate about the instructional piece of that and the things that teacher does every day or administrators or whomever to connect with kids and to drive their desire to learn and to do. Yeah, so how do you do that? I I think right away you've got to have an open mindset towards student voice. And and as a teacher, that can be hard. It, it was hard for me. I mean, I'm a I'm definitely a showman in the classroom. I love to create something. I like to create an environment for learners that's that's just wow. It's amazing. Like here, put this in your hands and see what you can do with this. And sell everything to the point where kids' eyes are wide and they're like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing in the world. But then walk away from it. Have the power to walk away from what you just presented and let their voices take over. Let them play with the concepts that you just that you just gave them. And, and I was very interested. I was at a conference. It was a national conference. I forget which one. If I find it, I'll put it on the website. But it was, uh, there, was, there was a vendor there with an app that measured student voice versus teacher voice in the classroom. They were selling this school-wide. It was fascinating. They could, they could measure the, the amount of time teachers were, were speaking versus the amount of time students were speaking um, instructionally. And they were saying that it was basically nine to one. So 90% of the time was teacher voice, 10% of the time was student voice in the average classroom. And I think if I'm designing a perfect school, I would teach a lot in the realm of getting a faculty to release themselves to the students or release the students rather from themselves and let them go and explore their own learning based on what you just showed them. That would be my primary thing. Sell something very immediate, sell it in a way that builds excitement, and then let it go and let them explore that. Of course, with guidance on the side. Mike, you've heard me talk about the social aspect of learning. And I think that right now in the educational experiences that I look at and experience, we are stuck in what I would call a post-COVID conundrum in that 
everyone has come to the belief that you can teach and learn in that online model. Mm-hmm. Provide the information, have people prove that they've understood it by giving it back to you in some way and move on. Go to module two. To me, that's not teaching and learning. There's something else there. And as we're looking at a good school, the, uh, the something else is the human part of that. The social human component mm-hmm. where online the student either does or does not. They get the content. They spit it out. They move on. If I come to your school and what is happening there is real and what you're talking about, if the teacher is able to present the topic, but then provide an enthusiastic opportunity for me to have my own voice and to work with this group of like-minded people that I have there and learn from them too and experience and do, to me, that's the core of what we're sometimes missing or what could be. Right. The human element there that the more we go towards that static standards approach, the less you have there, you need to go way far in the other direction and say, we're going to celebrate and do this together. I understand what you're saying, and, and I'm putting that into terms of what I've noticed. So I'm thinking to myself, if, if I'm told by an administrator, hey, use this resource and produce the best thing you can with it in a vacuum, I'm, I'm probably not going to do so well as if we all work together and compare our results and then bounce ideas off one another. That's just as a, as a teaching standpoint. As a student standpoint, it's the exact same thing. There's going to be no socialization in this classroom. I'm going to deliver something to you. You're going to accept it quietly and then reproduce it for me quietly sometime in the future. Or you're going to talk about these things and how it impacts your life personally and as a, as a communal agent in the classroom. And then show me how you used this. I think those are two different Two different things, but we know we see pockets of both in our schools and in our systems. Um, I immediately think of gym classes. Think this is such an interesting thing when I think about it because it's to me gym class changes. By the time you're in elementary school, when you're in elementary school, rather gym class is something very amazing for a lot of kids. But sometime when you when you move into that high school realm, gym class still is very exciting for certain kids, but then falls short for other kids. But imagine for a second, gym class as an, as an elementary student. You have a gym teacher who's explaining the rules, explaining the rules, explaining the rules, explaining the rules, explaining the rules. You have a 40 minute class period, but they explain the rules for 30 minutes to make sure that you know what you're going to do. And then for 10 minutes, we're just gonna practice playing the game. And then tomorrow we'll, we'll see if we can actually play the game after some further instruction. No, I don't think that's going to work ever. I think I'm going to explain this the best I can. I'm going to give you an idea of what the game is and how it'll benefit you. We're going to play the game. goes back to that mousetrap analogy. We're going to play this game in gym, and then when we're done, we'll talk about what we liked about it, some ways that we could improve it, and then how we'll play it tomorrow. That, to me, is like the perfect model, but oftentimes I hear people say, well, that's gym. How can I compete against gym class? Well, easy. If I'm teaching math and you're teaching gym class, how do I make math as 
much or as desired as that gym class. Because we both know that by the time we get to high school, there's going to be kids that would prefer to go to math than gym. That's always the case. But my excitement for what I'm teaching should bleed over whether it's gym, English language arts, mathematics, social studies, science. I have something that you don't have and I can't wait to give it to you. Right. Interesting thought on that. I started my career as a language arts teacher and then at one point moved into teaching video production. People come to me a lot and say, oh, of course people like being in your video production class. That stuff's fun. I wish I got to teach video production. Yeah. And I would laugh to myself every time someone would say that. And I would think, first of all, well, if you, if you became a certified math teacher or language arts teacher or science teacher, whatever, you must enjoy that content, first of all. Yeah. But then why do you think that I didn't teach language arts the exact same way that I'm teaching video production? Because that's what I tried to do. I used video when I taught language arts. I tried to make language arts as fun as I could possibly make it because I knew that that's what would want make students want to learn. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing for everything. I would teach math the same way I taught video production. I would make it hands-on, project-based, and fun. Yeah. And you can. And <clears throat> I, I talk with a lot of teachers or, you know, when I taught language arts, I could approach writing a certain way. I could say, well, guys, today we're starting our five-paragraph essay unit. We have to do this because it's assessed by the state, and it's just something we need to do. I know you hate it. I hate it, too, and we're going to do it. Or I could teach it in a real way, and I could say, guys, writing is awesome. It allows you to express yourself and communicate And this model of writing is how you're going to be assessed by the state. But if you can do it and do it well, you're going to be an awesome writer anywhere. So we're going to start off with a project that lets you become an awesome writer. We're going to research your family and make books about your family. And you're going to interview the people who you live with about their experiences and your grandparents and all of that. We're going to make a book about your family. And then I'm going to show you how the writing you did about your family is the exact same that you're gonna do when someone asks you to write an essay about something else. And it's all gonna be really cool because you're gonna be awesome at it. And I want you to be awesome at it because it's really important for your life. See the difference there between that? A lot of times we get too stuck in, just like you said in gym class, we get too stuck on the fact that there's rules to this or we have to teach this and we forget that we're the ones who signed up to teach it and it's it can be so great. Yep. I was the exact same way, Miles. You know, I, I had heard too many times from too many people, and I, I'm not going to get into, like, how I decided to teach the curriculum I did, but I was a Spanish teacher, and too many times I, I heard people saying, gosh, I hate foreign language, and uh, I, I was never any good at that, and I, I just made it a commitment to myself, I'm going to change that. I'm going to change that for everybody. Nobody's going to say, I hate learning Spanish from here on out. You know, and was I the person that would say, repeat after me, everybody. Puedo ir al baño. That's how you have to say, I need to go to the bathroom in my class. No, I didn't care about any of that stuff. I cared that everybody came into my class excited and they left going, holy cow, what was, what was that? And they couldn't wait to come back tomorrow. 
And every single day was like that. Now, were there ups and downs? Of course there were. But you know what? I heard a lot of people say to me too, well, you don't teach a core subject and you're not tested on a keystone exam or, or you know, any type of, of high stakes testing. I'm like, no, but would you prefer that I do that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> would, you pre- would you prefer that I teach a, a high stakes exam tested subject? I'll do that for you if you want. Right. Oh, well, you don't have the certification. Would you like me to go get that certification? And I've, you've heard me say it before too, where it doesn't matter to me what I teach. And, and you know what? I've seen elementary teachers that are so good at their game, I'd put them in any subject in the high school despite their certification. They, they, they could teach anything. doesn't matter. Exactly. And when we were leading up to this and having the discussion about it, you, you were talking about how it's your belief that you know, great instruction is the key. I also am passionate about a curriculum and the experiences that you're presenting to people. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you definitely in one sense that a great teacher can teach anything. Yep. Literally anything. I don't even necessarily have to know a whole lot about it beforehand. I'm going to teach myself the content and then I'm going to deliver it to kids or adults or whomever in an awesome way that lets them learn it. Yeah, there's, there's definitely got to be a lot of latitude given there. I think from, you know, if we're designing that perfect school, there has to be latitude and freedom to fail as a teacher, as a student, as an administrator. But in that failure, if that does happen, there's got to be solid reflection. What happened where this, this unit, this concept, this, this part of the organization fell flat? And can we improve upon it, or was it in itself not a good idea to approach? There must be the freedom to do that. And, and when you speak of freedom, if you don't have that freedom, if all you're doing is, is reacting to pressure from above and hoping for the best result, you better expect not to find it. And if you do find the best result, one, you're not going to know it was the best result. You're just going to be satisfied with whatever happened that was better than before, but you're only going to be let down even more the next time around if that same result doesn't happen. And so without that latitude to explore and want to have and want to keep coming back to do what you're doing, naturally with a with a good curriculum, you're going to fail in more ways than just failing now in, with the anticipation of doing better the next time. You're going to fail to want to continue. And that to me is, is big. That is, that is my most concerning issue with my most concerning issue facing public education now is that we are all starting to see that this is, this is much more difficult than one area. Uh, I'm, I'm really getting deep now and I'm, I'm probably borderline edgy right now, but it's like we have kids that don't want to come for what we're offering. We have adults that don't want to come because of what they have to offer, and the system is struggling because of it, and we all want something better, but we are either too afraid to say what needs to change, or we're, we are too scared of the result because it's unknown. What if I said, with the tools that we have right now, with requirements from the federal government or the state where you operate or whatever, the educators who we have and the students we have, we have all of the pieces in place to provide the experiences to have a great school already. Mm -hmm. They're all there. What if I said that? 
And we just need to make some changes to the way that we're teaching and the content that we're delivering. It's possible. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to cite some general research first that says that as students approach school age, they are their most enthusiastic to learn. And Mike, you're an elementary school principal, so that's why I'm asking you based on your anecdotal experience. As students come to your school as kindergartners, are they enthusiastic and happy to be there? Mostly, yes. I would say mostly, yes. Um, the, the part that, that turns them away is, is it happens often immediate, is when they, when they face the fir- for the first time, um, like school rules that aren't the same as home rules. Those, mm-hmm. are, those are the things that, 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 that kids balk at most. And I think I mentioned it one other time about w- what part of the day that happens most affects how they go home. Mm-hmm. So if they experience some, some offset of, of the, the rules and it's at the end of the day, they're most likely going to carry that home with them. That would experience, that would, that would you know... Okay, but generally yeah, we yeah, could say, generally, yeah. you know, generally we could say, and if you look at research on this, you could say that young people are enthusiastic, they're naturally curious, they mm-hmm. want to learn. Yes. And then if you look at the research, that enthusiasm for education wanes the further they get through their educational experience. Yes. We've seen this at the high school level. That same person that came into the educational system at age five, enthusiastic, curious, wanting to please, a lot of times looks a lot different. Whether they're a high-achieving student or a low-achieving student or somewhere in the between, by the time they get to 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, you told me you're interested in this area of research. Mm -hmm. I responded to you with the word boredom. That's another just often cited fact that students are generally bored in school. Right. But I guess the question that I'm asking you is, why do we think that happens? Why do people come to us enthusiastic, ready to learn, can't wait to experience, and by the time students get to high school, they're just ready to get it over with? Yeah, I, th- I think that comes in, in, in probably because they've had so many years of the same thing over and over and over again that, I don't know, if I have them for seven years, is seven years long enough for that? If they go to another school when they leave mine, they get they get more of the same? I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm very interested in exploring that. I really want to hear from kids in all different backgrounds as to if they turned away from school, what caused it and when did it happen? Um, I can't help but to think that there's a model that we keep promoting that is not necessarily the best model. Or maybe it's that we're not promoting a a freer model. Let me just do a little thought experiment with you then, okay? Yeah. Let's say, and anyone listening to this, if you went to college, Mm -hmm. okay, say that you could pay your, say, $100,000 and go to every single class and get your four-year degree. Or you could pay $100,000 and just get your four-year degree, which option would you choose? <laughs> oh, isn't that go. helpful? <laughs> I mean, knowing what I know now, I would I would learn. I would go for the learning, you know, but I, I can't say... How about your 18-year-old self? My 18-year-old self would be like, wow, okay, great. I'll take the second. 
And I wonder if we pose that deal to every high school senior in the United States of America, which option they would choose. Oh, I guarantee you they would choose the second. And I, <sighs> and what, my question then is, why is that? Why is that? Right. And, and how... You know what? How early would they start to make that decision for themselves, even in their even in their public education? Exactly. How far back would that go? Exactly. Sixth grade, fifth, fourth, third, second, first. If you knew, as a seven year old person, that you'll be successful with your grades, no matter whether you show up, do anything, or not do anything, would you take it? For any teacher out there listening to this. You can't do this experiment because we'll get in trouble for not teaching. What if you did that? Everyone comes in on the first day. This is a semester-long class. Hey, guys, I'll make a deal with you. If you come in, chill out, listen to your music, pound away on your cell phone, don't give me any trouble, I'll give you an A. We won't do anything. Don't tell anybody. I'll give you an A. Mm-hmm. How many people are signing up and saying yes right now? Right. And not even interested in what you have to offer them. And if that's the case, why is that? And I guess what I'm saying is that, to me, points out the fundamental flaw that we have. We are selling something that in a lot of times is of no value to the consumer, to the right. people we're trying to sell it to. It's free, but if, it, if the content there were really valuable, people would be beating down the doors to get it. Right. They either can't see the value or there is no value there. And I'm saying look at all the hidden gems that we still have in our schools that we should be, for lack of a better term, exploiting. And those hidden gems would be your electives, your electives coordinating with your core classes, how they could team up, work together. So if I'm building my my ultimate school, you better believe that my electives are going to be driven as hard as the core, if not harder. And the core is going to be supporting those electives. So if I have a a class on construction, you think for one second that math and science isn't going to go completely hand in hand with a construction class. Oh, they are. Or a cooking class where I'm trying to get kids interested in becoming some sort of chef or home cook and you think I, I don't need fractional measurement and all those things going into that, 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 that curriculum is going to be intertwined where electives are built up as much as core and we focus on all of it. Which is, I guess, Mike, when, when you made the comment to me a little earlier that to you, like, great instruction is the most important piece, I would push back on that a little bit and to me... I would say the curricular program that you have is at least equal to the instruction because I would agree to you in the current system with what we're asked to teach people, you've got to be great at instruction because like I said, I don't think the product that you're selling is necessarily great all the time. Mm -hmm. If you're charged with teaching Algebra 1 to 11th graders, I don't know that you've got a great product to sell them. I really don't. So you've got to be like a master at making that relevant and proving to people that, yes, this is important to your life. But I would say, I've talked with you about this a lot, that in a great school, 
there is no division of knowledge first. Mm-hmm. There is no hierarchy. Math isn't more important than home economics or more important than shop or art or any of those things. There's just knowledge. And what school does is it divides that knowledge. It ranks the knowledge as well, but it teaches it in separate compartments, especially at the high school level, mm-hmm. unnecessarily. And we get in this huge game of, I'm going to take this course and this course and this course and this course and check them off my list and fulfill whatever requirement and do whatever I have to do to either play the game well or just get through the game, and it's never meaningful. Right. But like what you're saying, if we can unite that for at least a portion of the school day and make it what almost 100 years ago was called a core curriculum that was meaningful for the students to them, to their lives, and allowed them to explore different areas with all of that content united then you have an awesome program that with great instructional leaders becomes just this thing that people would beat down your doors to experience every day. So you're saying with something like that, with a curricular model like that, with excellent instructional leadership, we would, we would have a school that people want to come to and we wouldn't have so much to worry about like discipline because kids don't want to do what we have to offer but we have to make them want it. And if they don't, we offer sanctions and punitive measures for them to want it. Exactly. Huh. Well, it sounds <laughs> like we just solved the, the whole dilemma. Jeez, I would hate for anybody to hire both of us to come into their building and say, hey, we got something for you. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's an article that I love, Mike. It's written by um, a professor... Um, Dave Brown, and the title of the article is It's the Curriculum Stupid. And what he is saying, he's citing that boredom research in the article, but what he's saying is is that we are not offering our kids what they need. Mm -hmm. They need something that's more. And I was just having this conversation with someone the other day, but I said, 30 or 40 years ago, maybe this model worked a little better. I don't think it was great then, but maybe it worked a little better because we were the gatekeepers of knowledge. If there were certain things that you wanted to learn, we had it. Education had it. And we slowly released it to you. Now you can access any knowledge anywhere at any time. What else do we have? Right. We're still just trying to be the gatekeepers of knowledge. That's a big problem. That's a big problem. Right. So what, what is it that I have that you can't get off of a screen? And I think right there, it comes, it comes down to, like you just said, curriculum with fine instruction. So have we refined what we're going to provide you that's, that's worldly and you can't get anywhere else? And am I going to deliver it to you in a way that's dynamic and impactful? So let me, let me throw this out to you, see what it sounds like. I don't know, because sometimes when I talk about these ideas or school people I feel like are like that's a little too wishy-washy or that's not quite locked in on what we think school should be Mm -hmm. so let me throw it out to you and see what you think okay Um, high school junior curriculum Mm -hmm. okay the focus of this year for everyone in this school is solving the problem of global warming I don't want to get political but I'll say generally we know the earth is rising the temperature of the earth is rising. Sure. Okay. Everyone, you come to this school this year, 
we are going to try to solve that problem. Well, first off the bat, I have moved from, I have all the answers, I'm going to teach them to you, you give them back to me, to here's an authentic problem that needs to be solved. Right. Guess what? It's not solved. Can we do it? Okay. So for this entire year, everything that I teach in math and science and language arts and social studies is generally geared towards this idea around the problem of global warming. I'm going to read novels about it. I'm going to read articles about it. I'm going to write about it. I'm going to look at what it looks like in different areas of the world. I'm going to look at population studies and all of that with the math and the science for about half my day mm -hmm. in those core classes. And the second half of the day, I'm going to get to work with a team of people that are generally interested in some of the same things I'm interested in, in building a solution. And the teachers in the building are going to be tasked with helping me to learn about the ways that I can solve this problem through my project and my presentation. And then at the end of the year, I get to present that solution that I've prototyped and tested and built to a panel of experts that are brought in and they get to decide how well I did at solving this problem. And maybe there's even a chance that the work that I do this year as a high school junior could actually help the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I, I don't think that anybody listening to this would say that that is not what public school is right now. And I don't think that too many, maybe there's some people out there that would be like, I don't want public school to be that way. But I, I certainly wouldn't argue. I would want it to be that way. I would want to know that my focus and my interest is going towards something that is that is beneficial to the human race, that is interesting to me, that communally is is very keeps me tied in because I'm responsible to other people and other people are responsible to me. I think that 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 is an excellent excellent model, um, one that. We, we should have the safety to build. Why shouldn't we? And it's just an idea that right. I was throwing out there, and that was off the top of my head. Right. And that can look a lot of different ways in a lot of different schools. It's just I feel like a far departure from what is happening in schools right now. Right. It does happen in schools. It is an approach that has been used, but I feel like a movement more towards that gets to some of the things that we talked about, the interest and the relevance and those types of things. Well, I think something like that is is more interesting to drive a vision, a school vision, than you know the simple vision of we need to get our scores up. You know, our math scores are terrible, or our, our language arts scores are terrible. That's our vision is to improve that. Well, I get that, but it's I'm, I'm kind of following that field of dreams model. If you build something to what you just said those scores will inevitably come up because you've built interest. And that's one thing that we talked about prior to this too, is that, you know, if, if you're going to tell me that, you know, our scores are so bad at the high school or at the middle school, high school level in this one area, I'm going to argue that all day long and say, it's not because of your resource. It's not because of your professional development. It's because of the interest of your kids. The interest of your kids is what's driving your scores either up or down. And that should be the number one focus you have. And if you start asking questions on how do we get our kids more interested in what we're delivering, 
you'll flush out those answers quicker than just trying different things and hoping for a different response. If you say that, geez, the things that we're doing are disinteresting our kids, are disinteresting pushing them away from what we're, what we're trying to accomplish, there, you focus on that. Or are our kids coming to us from a different background? That to me is more passive because you're blaming and kind of pointing the finger and not, not bringing it inward. But what are our attitudes when we are delivering instruction? And then what is it that we're actually teaching? Basically what we just said, the curriculum and the instruction pieces. And I, I think they both go hand in hand. Sure. And when you talk about what a good school would be, talk about kids coming in enthusiastic and ready to learn every day, we owe it to them to provide better experiences for them that don't make them bored, that they're not waiting for that bell to ring at the end of the day so they can go do something else that they're passionate about. We should allow them to do the things they're passionate about while they're with us Mm -hmm. and then connect in whatever way. It could be that model that I just talked about. It could be something else. There's a thousand different ways to do it, but allow the things that they care about and are passionate about to drive their learning and to integrate the things we're teaching into the things they care about. Right. Not tell them, you need to care about this because. And and I hate to tell anybody too, and when they start saying like, well, these are just pipe dreams, and these are just where where do great things come from? Great things come from interesting ideas, from interesting conversations. Or if if somebody were to say like, "Well, there's no money for that. Why are we worried about money? Why are we worried about what something costs before we ever even begin to explore it?" If you think for one second that launching an idea like that to the public, to even national sponsors wouldn't be taken up. I hate to tell you it would be, but you've got to set something aside to accept those types of things. You've got to check your ego at the door and maybe give up some things in order to accept some things. And I'm saying that to people who are the critics to what we're talking about here, the people who are making the reasons why this can't be. That's a personal belief for you because these things can be. And you need to set that aside. And in the, the in the introduction of this podcast, the words are said, the tremendous potential of public education. That's what keeps me going every day. The potential. The idea that we can get to a place that is so much better. That Not to say that anyone's not doing a lot of hard work and great things right now, but the potential to transform education for what people truly need right now is there. We have everything we need. Mm-hmm. I just don't think we need to be locked into sometimes the limiting structures that we have. We just have to be willing to step outside of that and say, wherever people are, whatever space they are, in a classroom, a school, or whatever, am I willing to do something different, to take a chance, right, to see if something else works better? Right. Why are we waiting for it? Why are we waiting around to see if we win the lottery? No, we don't need to wait for the lottery. And that's that's, of course, very anecdotal. But what are we what are we doing now to make the change that we want? And what freedoms are we putting out there with guidance, with development, professional development? What are we doing to make those changes 
that are outside of checking boxes and saying, well, we provided that, we did that. Right. No. Right. No. There's something more than that. And I want to say something else about this. I, I just thought of, think about all the extracurricular activities that go around a school. Think of it like a high school with football and basketball and debate team, and they've done things like esports teams and all of those things. Why do those things exist? Because as I've gotten um, further into my life and had a chance to reflect and also read about those things, to me, those are all part of the trick. Mm-hmm. We had to make football teams and baseball teams and basketball teams and now esports because people don't like. What happens from eight to three? So if you come and do okay, I'll let you play football. That'll be fun. <laughs> eight to three is going to be awful, but I'm going to trick you into doing okay to get this grade so you can be eligible to play. <laughs> you ever thought about it that way? <laughs> you got my mind going in, in a lot of different directions right now. What if like school it. was the thing that was awesome? Right. And I didn't need to trick you. I, that, I felt like that as a teacher a lot of times, and sadly. Like, I had to, like you said, like, be a great showman or whatever. Yeah, I can sell this. I feel like I can get people enthusiastic about a cardboard box. Right. I, I think I can. But why should I have to? That is very interesting. So, and what what is the cardboard box? I mean... Is, is the cardboard box what we're mandated or is it what we're chosen, what we've chosen to get to the mandate? I guess if, if I have to be a showman for you, is it, am I being a showman because my resource is poor or because my curriculum isn't doing it and it has, it has zero to do with the lives of the kids? That, that to me is something because now you're really making me think. Because, you know, the first, the first step to me is I'm, I'm going to get you to want to do this. Mm-hmm. But do I want to do it? And why do I want to do it? Do I want to sell this to you because it's important? Or do I want to sell this to you because you, you have, you're going to have to know it anyway? That's tough to, that's tough to digest. Right. Somebody and told me that you need to get your kids to do this. All right, then. By gosh, I'll do it. Back to the perfect school is, is one that doesn't prepare you for the next step, but one that prepares you for your next step as a student, as an individual. How do we get that? How do we, I guess it's not even a matter of how, it's not a question. The perfect school takes inventory regularly of every kid and and discovers what their interests are, discovers what their strengths are, and shapes content for that. And then the master teacher, as you said, that master teacher is going to take that curriculum and shape it for their students. So, right. And in the perfect school, the teacher's passion for their students' next step slash life success is that key element, the human side of a teacher just in a really raw state saying, it's my job to get you 
wherever you need to be and to help you find out where that place is. So would you say that we are losing ground by forcing our teachers to produce a very narrow response? When I say that, I mean producing readers and producing mathematicians within a standardized score. Are we losing ground with our teachers because of that? Where in our perfect school, I know you and you and I, Miles, we're saying deliver an experience to our children that shapes them for their own future instead of getting them to know algebra and getting them to read at grade level. Right, Mike, think about this for a second. If you are saying our goal is to have students produce at this level on this test, you are stuck in that boredom rut of the school knows all the answers. I already know what you're going to say before I tell you anything. What's the point? I know the answers. I'm going to give them to you. You're going to give them back. There is no point. So <laughs> I'm going to make a little bit of a funny here because I, I agree with you 100%. If we have a basketball unit in gym class every year in elementary school, why do I not have an entire school as a basketball team? <laughs> that's exactly what we're trying to do with, with reading at grade level and math. We want a score on a test. Wait a second. There's way more to, to school than that or the test. Right. The whole idea of that model, when you think about it in the terms that you just presented, does not work. If you think about it differently, that just in the community, wherever your school is, needs people of all different types, abilities, talents, passions to be successful, it becomes much different. Yeah, I agree. This was a tough podcast, Miles. This one was, this one really, this one, this one I thought was going to be fun to talk about and, and a little lighthearted, and it was exactly the opposite of that. Um, designing the perfect school in our two minds, that is, it is definitely fun to think about, but it, it really takes, it, it takes on a, a heartbeat of its own. Um, but I, I think this, Mike, I think if the takeaway from this is that, you know, if we found the top achieving school on standards-based assessments in the United States of America, and we took everything that they taught, and we took their teachers also, and we delivered them to the worst performing school in the United States of America, and within one year we expected that school to then be the top performing school in the United States of America, we'd be insane. But isn't it sick that that's what we try to do as school systems? We try to, to reach what other schools are doing to find success instead of building it for our own? It is. So I think the message is <laughs> to everybody, take the needs of your learners and your community and build programs, build curricula, build experiences that allow them to get what they need and then teach your teachers to be passionate about helping them go there. 
a great school would do both of those things. They would have great teachers passionate about their students' success, and they'd be able to offer great programming that's engaging, student-centered, and allows for exploration. That sounds like the perfect school to me. So there you have it. I mean, we dug into it, and hey, if you want us to build a school, we're here. And I think... We've talked about it. We would love to do that. We would love to build a school on that very model. Right. We would love to work with schools on that very model or to see more of those things in the schools that we work in. That's the goal. That's the message. That's the mission. Yes. And if I'm and if I'm the the principal of our perfect school, you better believe from from my side of 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 student interest, I'm walking around that school and I'm looking at the learners and I'm looking at what their level of interest is, and I'm taking inventory of that, and I'm saying, how are we doing here? Do these kids want to be here? Do our staff want to be here? And, and shaping the building around that. And in educational terms, you would call that engagement. How engaged is everyone in the building? And when we first started talking about this, we said, or I said, are people waking up desiring to go there every day? In the great school Everyone wants to be there. Right. They don't want to go anywhere else. They want to come in there on Saturday or Sunday or share with their families what's going on there because that's great. And they're not willing to check out and yeah. take the grade. They desire what you're offering. Right. And that's I, that was part of our pregame today, too, is, is in, my, in my terms, I have a teacher that's saying, oh, my gosh, thank God it's Friday. Because they're exhausted from putting everything they have into their into their exciting week. And it's not because it's like, oh, thank God it's Friday. The kids need to go home. They were terrible this week. No, it's the other. It's the other. I gave everything I had and the kids do too. We need to recoup our energy and come back. Can't wait to do it on Monday. Right. And for that staff member or everyone working in your building or a building, they are so invested and so passionate about what they're doing that it is just uplifting to them every single day. It's hard work, it's draining, it's exhausting, but you're totally invested in it because you know what you're doing has true meaning and it's giving your students what they need. Yep, I love it. Period, end of story, the great school. The great school. This is from the School Is Out podcast with Mike and Miles. Continue the conversation and explore past and future episodes at schoolisout.org.